Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Amen. Amen. Well, that'll be what it's like today at three and at six, and it's actually our first Sunday night concert since uh, all this came, started back in March, and uh, the Old Paths Quartet was with us, and now we've got the Triumphant Quartet tonight, and very glad to have them here, and uh, let's fill the place up appropriately distanced, of course, uh, but let's have a great concert tonight. Um, 3,500 years ago, the great man of God, Moses, was thinking about and praying about the brevity of life, the shortness of life in compared to eternity. And we actually have what uh, his reflections were at that time in Psalm 90. I'm just going to read you a couple verses from that. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 3 and 4 in a little bit here. But look what Moses says in Psalm 90. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. A lot of hardships we face in life, and the body decays. For it's soon cut off, this life is soon cut off, and we fly away. That's probably where the hymn got it, right? I'll fly away, O glory. I'll fly away. A couple verses later, he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, we know that now and throughout history, not everybody makes it to 80 or beyond, But it's amazing how in America and in the world, the average is between 70 and 80 for both men and women to this very day. So the Holy Spirit spoke through Moses about what each person gets as a life, although of course, uh, you know, many don't make it to 80 and we are, each day is uncertain. We need to treat it as a gift and value it and make it count. But let's try to visualize what Moses said there in a little bit of a chart. If a person does live to be 80 or beyond, Let's say they live to age 10. Uh, If you live to age 10, then you've lived 3,650 days, and you've got 25,550 days left. By the way, if you want to take a picture of that with your phone, that's okay to do. That's part of the modern world that we live in. Um, If you live to age 20, you've lived 7,300 days, and you have 21,900 days left. Well, if you make it to 40, you're at the midway point, right? You've lived 14,600 days. You've got 14,600 to go if you make it all the way to 80. If you're in your 60s or you hit 60, you've lived 21,900 days. There's 7,350 to go. You're now under 10,000. You've got less than 10,000 days left. If you do make it to 80, you live, you've lived 29,200 days, and every day after that's a bonus day, according to Moses, right? And of course, we live in a sin-stained world. Not everyone's guaranteed tomorrow, so what do you need to do? You need to make every day count. 
That's what Moses had in mind when he said, teach us to number our days. Teach us that if there's some things that if we don't go ahead and do them for the Lord today, they won't happen. There's some investments in people's lives for the sake of God that if we don't do now, it simply will not happen. It's so sad as a pastor over the years to meet so many people and they say, one day I will, one day I will, and I've been preaching long enough and pastoring long enough to know for many of them, though the one day simply never comes. Now, I'm a 53-year-old man. October 5th will be my birthday. I'll be 53. And I realize that if the rapture doesn't happen first, I'm now down to my last 10,000 days or so. And uh, that's very humbling. It's sobering. I want you to know I feel a, a greater sense of urgency now than I've ever felt in my life. When I think about the days I have left and the days we're in, And during the time I have left, I want to talk to everybody I can that doesn't know Jesus about knowing Jesus, having their peace with God. Because if that happens, I'll be friends with them forever. Friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them, we'll be brothers and sisters in Christ forever. And I also, as a pastor, have a greater sense of urgency than ever. Because I look around and I see so many distracted Christians who are caught up in lesser things. The uh, good old hymn said, have done with lesser things, right? Rise up, O man of God. Have done with lesser things and give your heart with everything you got to Christ your King. Uh, You know, I have such a great sense of urgency because I look around and people are distracted by so many things and yet the days are slipping by, they're going by and too many people are saying one day or if these things work out, then I'll serve Jesus and that day may never come for them. Well, folks, scholars believe that the Apostle Paul didn't make it to the age of 70, They generally think that he probably died in his mid to late 60s. And this has been a sermon series called Facing Life with the Apostle Paul. And we've seen the great milestones of Paul's life, how he gives us such hope in his testimony because, folks, if God can save Paul, he can save anybody. Saul was like an ISIS terrorist, you know, terrorizing believers. Where did he do it? He did it in Syria. When he got saved, he was terrorizing Christians in Syria. And yet God met him personally. You know, I love the stories of Jesus throughout history. You can still find them today where Jesus appears to somebody in a vision. He appeared to Paul in a vision, right? And he said, I'm the one you're persecuting. And that day Saul met Jesus and was baptized. And a couple days later, it was so powerful what God did. If God can save Saul, he can save anybody. And we saw Saul grow. We saw Barnabas recruit him and put him into ministry there together as a team. And then later Paul led teams and all the people that he worked with, all the churches he planted, but all the heartaches he faced, all the beatdowns he faced. And many times he got knocked down and he just kept by faith getting up again and going forward with Jesus and forward with God's purpose and plan for his lives. And so many things knock you down in your life. So many heartaches, so many struggles, just like Moses talked about. Oh, our days have labor in them and struggle. There's joy in the journey too, but my goodness, the things that we face in life. But there's joy for the believer now and joy forevermore with the Lord. In fact, Psalm 16 urges believers on by saying that at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore, the right kind of pleasures, the pleasure that comes from truly being right with God and growing in him and walking with him. Well, in the last message that we did in this series, the next to last one, we saw Paul was imprisoned in Rome and wrote a few letters. One of them was to Philemon. And Paul used his personal relationship with Philemon to advocate for the right kind of change that needed to happen in the world. He said, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus to you. You need to forgive him, treat him as a brother. And I believe Paul was also calling for him to free him for gospel ministry. 
And so Paul used the personal leverage he had to make the world a better place, and he did that in so many different ways throughout his ministry. Now, after Paul was released from that, if you look at the end of the book of Acts, that's the kind of time we were talking about last week, um, you know, uh, when we were thinking about Philemon and that letter to Philemon. Uh, after the end of the book of Acts, Paul was released and he had some more ministry before we get to 2 Timothy 3 and 4 today. And we're just not sure exactly what he did during those years. We, we don't know, but we do know what he wanted to do because he tells us in his writings. He told us, what I want to do is I want to keep taking the gospel to places it hadn't been yet. I want to go to Spain. And I want to share the gospel there because those people need Jesus. And some believe he was able to do that. After getting out of that prison, he went to Spain and led some more people to Christ, planted some more churches, raised up more workers and missionaries for the future. Um, He also, we know, wanted one more time at least to get to each church and each body of believers that he knew and encourage them in the Lord and be encouraged by them in the Lord. He wanted to strengthen their faith, be strengthened by their faith, and partner with them to get the gospel where it hadn't been yet. And we're still doing the same thing 2,000 years later. We've said it before, but Paul modeled, I've been saying 4G living, but the phone's now got 5G, so let's do it in 5Gs, right? Paul modeled 5G living. Paul did everything he did for the glory of God. He did everything he did for the good of his fellow man. When he made tents, he made good tents that helped people, right? He was bivocational most of his ministry. And in his workplace, he made tents you could rely on. He helped the world by putting tents out there. Some of you are helping the world by teaching. Some of you are helping the world by being a police officer or you're in the military or you're a homemaker. Uh, Hopefully we're all homemakers, you know, Uh, not homebreakers, you know. Um, But uh, God has placed a passion on you to do something that helps the world. And it is, you know, the... uh, Eric Little, right? God made me fast, and when I run, I feel the Lord's pleasure. When you're making tires at Goodyear, you ought to feel the Lord's pleasure because the world needs tires, and you make them. Do everything you do for the glory of God, the good of your fellow man, to get the gospel to non-believers with fellow believers, you know, channeling uh, all your energy and passion and gift. So, so that happens. So grateful to be part of a church that gives nearly 30% to missions each year. Um, do everything you do for the growth of your fellow believers, thinking, how can I help them grow? How can I encourage them this day, this week? And do everything you do with a grateful heart. That's the fifth one now. Do everything you do with a grateful heart. Well, folks, around 64 AD, the Roman emperor Nero distracted his people from his political failures by burning down Rome. Uh, so many problems in the empire, he said the people need to think about something else. And so he burned the city of Rome down. And as it burned, uh, the people got a little suspicious. They said, you know what? Uh, We're hearing these rumors that maybe Nero himself had something to do with this. And those rumors reached Nero's palace. Uh, We might call it Caesar's palace. It it reached Nero there in the palace. And um, Nero said, you know what? Uh, I need somebody else to blame. I need somebody else to blame for the problems in the city and the empire. And he said, now, who do I know that people are criticizing because everywhere they go, they're flipping the world upside down? 
Well, the book of Acts says that as Christians went and shared the gospel in places it hadn't been before, that these men and women were flipping the world upside down. They've come here also, those men and women who are flipping everything upside down. So he blamed the Christians. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a test on every Christian out there. We know they won't say that Caesar is Lord. They'll say that Jesus is Lord. So we will arrest them and we'll put them on a hearing and then we'll say, we won't have, do anything to you if you say that Caesar is Lord. And they put those, arrested those Christians, put them on trial and say, say Caesar is Lord or burn this incense like it's a prayer to Caesar. And they said, we can't do that because Jesus is Lord. We're going to be the best citizens you have in this whole place, Nero, but we can't do that because you're asking us to go against the higher authority, God, and we must obey God rather than men. So Jesus is Lord. You're going to have to live with that. And he said, no, you're going to have to die because of that. And over the days that passed, those Christians that were faithful and said Jesus is Lord in a world that demanded that they say Jesus is just a God and Caesar's the big authority and is the only one you really look to. In those days that followed, as you traveled into Rome, you might see a pole with a charred corpse on it, Christians who had been burned on the pole. You might have seen an announcement that Over there in the Colosseum, they were going to have the Christians versus the lions. The saints versus the lions, but it wasn't the New Orleans saints. It was Christian saints out there. They made it so the lions were hungry. They opened the, 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 uh, the, the cages that the lions were in. The lions came out and devoured the Christians. Paul refers to that in the passage we're about to read. You may have... Uh, uh, read that they were also, they crucified believers like that Jesus had been crucified. And they also were beheading people because that's always something uh, totalitarian regimes like to do also. They like to cut off people's heads. The two key leaders of the early church in those mid-60s, Peter and Paul, were both arrested during that time. They were both imprisoned in Rome and they were both sentenced to death because of their faithfulness to saying Jesus is Lord. And they were both executed by Nero during that stretch of time. It happened to both of them. But instead of destroying the church, persecution led to even more church growth, so much so that Tertullian, an African, uh, North African uh, pastor in about 160, he lived 160 to 240, he said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. They thought they were going to destroy the church through persecution. Instead, it kept growing. The same thing has happened in China and other places to this day, which is so powerful. Now, we don't have Peter's last words before he was executed. We do have First and Second Peter. They're glorious letters. But we don't have the, the last words he spoke with just a little bit of time before he died. But we do have that for Paul. It's Second Timothy that we're about to read from. Now, in our day, we usually call in hospice when we're down to our last six months or so of life, last uh, 200 days or so of life, using that day analogy again. And as a pastor, I've seen God do some amazing things during that time. I've seen people that you never thought would turn to Christ before they die, finally make their peace with God, receive Christ. We've seen it. I'm looking out and I see in some of your families, we've seen it. Hallelujah. I've seen people uh, forgive and ask for forgiveness, friends and loved ones, that they'd hurt along the way and it hurt them along the way. Holy moments. Take your shoes off, it's holy ground kind of moments. It's so powerful to see that. I have seen someone give some of the most inspiring words 
to those they were going to leave behind. A charge, if you will, an exhortation, if you will, encouragement, if you will. Not only a blessing, but also a charge to live faithfully for Jesus before they die. Such a holy, powerful time. Well, folks, 2 Timothy is Paul calling in hospice on himself. He's no longer speaking of traveling to anywhere but heaven. In all of his other writings, he says, I'm going to travel to Spain. I'm going to travel back to you. Now he's saying, my time of departure is at hand. And he means the train going to heaven. And he urges Timothy to travel to him before he's executed. It's also his last words to all of us, Timothy's, living here in what we call these last days. So we're going to take time to read chapter 3 and 4 in that mindset that these were the last words we have from Paul, and they're really to all of us. Uh, But think of yourself in two ways here. In these pages, he's talking to Timothy, his protege, that he wants to carry the faith forward. But he also mentions Demas, who at one time it looked like he was going to be a Timothy. But he's going to say that Demas, having loved the world has basically checked out for the faith. I don't know if he was still a believer and had, uh, you know, and just was going to lose rewards or if it meant he wasn't a believer at all. God will sort all that out. He's the judge. But Timothy was faithful after this and Damas wasn't. And the question I have for you is which one are you going to be? What's your life going to be about? Chapter 3. But know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. What are the last days? Uh, every moment before the rapture. Uh, increasingly from the time of Paul to ours. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. Think about what's happening in some of our cities. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Has there ever been a time more emphasis has been placed on education but less on wisdom? Always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no more, no further. For their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. Verse 10, but Timothy... Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, what I taught, my teaching, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. They happened to Paul everywhere, but Timothy had witnessed those as a young man deciding on whether to follow Christ or not like his mom and grandmom did. He had seen Paul come to town, get beaten down, stand back up again with love and forgiveness for those who had done it to him and keep on inviting people to turn to Christ for salvation. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, You need to memorize that verse if you haven't. Underline it, circle it, put an asterisk beside it. If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, there will be trouble in your life for some more than others. But that's the way it is. 
But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Timothy, remember what your godly parents taught you. If you've had godly parents, remember what they've taught you. Remember what you learned in Awana, Timothy. Those that poured those truths into you. Remember what you learned in Word of Life, Timothy. All those things there. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means it's God-breathed. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Not all those are happy words. When you're rebuking somebody, it doesn't come across as happy. You're having to say, listen, I care enough about you to tell you the truth. Rebuke, Timothy, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But Timothy, you be watchful in all things. Watch out for yourself. Endure afflictions as they come. Do the work of evangelist. Share, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the marathon race. I have kept the faith as a good steward of what was entrusted to me. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing, all who have loved his appearing in the first century, all who have loved his appearing in Danville and Pennsylvania County and Caswell and wherever else you're from or listening from. There's a reward that awaits those who loved the first appearing that Christ did in their life when he saved them and the time when he'll appear again and you'll see him face to face and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Be diligent to come to me quickly, Timothy, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens is ministering in Galatia, Titus in Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. Remember that, where Paul had had a conflict and had said Mark was useless to Barnabas, and yet that restoration had happened one more time before he dies. There on his deathbed, so to speak, Paul says, hey, let me set the record straight one more time. Mark is a man of God. The same Mark that went on to write the second gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he's greatly resisted our words. Some words of wisdom for Timothy there. At my first events, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So he's talking about that that was happening in Rome. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And one more time, 
He says, make sure you greet Priscilla and Aquila, those dear co-workers we had. There's a few others there. He mentions in verse 21 uh, to say hello to, uh, there's greetings from Linus and Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Claudia and all the brethren, all those. In verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Amen. Paul finished well, and we want to too. Let's say a word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you for what we've learned about the life of the Apostle Paul over these 10 weeks or so of these messages. And Lord, I thank you that Paul never presented himself as anything but a sinner saved by grace who was committed to growing, focused in serving, all the kind of things that we can be too if we'll humble ourselves in your sight by faith walk in you and respond to the opportunities you bring our ways and courageously look for more opportunities to bring the gospel to others and growth to others, Lord. Lord, everything that Paul modeled is within our grasp to also model for others. And he was calling Timothy and all of us Timothys to do that very thing. And he was ever mindful that there might be some Damases in every generation who walk with Christians for a while, are around the things of the Lord for a while, but at the end of the day, love the world instead of the things of God. Oh God, may we be found among the Timothys, not among the Demonises. Help us to finish well the way dear brother Paul did. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we certainly don't have a time for a full study of these verses, and since we're presenting them the way we are in this topical series, you know, we're just going to hit the highlights here. But in chapter 3, in the first nine verses, Paul diagnosed the self-love that will characterize our last days. What a service he did to the church. He said, as you approach the last days before the rapture comes, this is going to be increasingly true in the world. And what he shares, he shares 18 crisp statements about the way things will be that are like looking at the headlines of our local paper. They're like looking at the news feed that comes into our social media accounts, like looking at the preferred news channel of your choice. Everything he goes over here are rabid epidemically happening in our day now. And basically he says in the last days people will love everything but God. He specifically says they'll be lovers of themselves, they'll be lovers of money, and they will be lovers of pleasure, but they'll not really be lovers of God. And we could accept that more readily if we knew that he was just speaking to pagans, but he's obviously concerned about those who name the name of Christ and have a form of religion and maybe members of such and such Baptist church or Methodist church or Presbyterian church or whatever kind of church who have a form of religion but don't have the power of the new birth in their life and don't have the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and don't have the power that comes through a life committed to Christ and his cause. They are led by their lusts. They resist the truth. They don't embrace it. And as Paul is giving his last words to Timothy and all of us Timothys, he wants us to understand that those who claim faith but don't seek to live lives based on God's truth are imposters, disapproved by heaven whose folly will one day be revealed to all. Now, 
Every true Christian struggles with sin. Paul acknowledges that. He calls himself the chief of sinner. So we know there has to be a mindset of embracing God's uh, scriptures and wanting to live by them and then seeking with the power of the Holy Spirit to deny self, take up our cross daily and follow him. So everybody in this room struggles with obedience, but we live in a day where increasingly people say, the Bible says that, but I don't believe that. And if that's you, you need to repent because there really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, amen? So that would include preachers and churches that don't really believe the Bible's the word of God. Ever since higher criticism came out of Germany, there's been an increasing number of mainline churches and their pastors who are trained that the Bible is the words of men, not the word of God. They don't have full confidence in it. And you can usually tell that because they say Jesus is a way of salvation or he's our example to follow. He's not the way of salvation. But the Bible says he is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to be with the Father in heaven except through Jesus Christ. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So any preacher or church that minimizes Jesus and says he's an example to follow rather than the Savior who we all need, they are who Paul's talking about. They're imposters. That would include politicians that say abortion is okay. No, it's the murder of an innocent life. Life is a precious gift from God, and it's meant to be born and then lived out, and then you die a natural death. And so anything that cheapens life is a disgrace before God. And for any politician to say, yes, I'm a member, I'm at a Baptist church or a Catholic church or whatever kind of church, and yet they say abortion is okay, they're an imposter, according to Paul. That would include all that reject Genesis 1, saying that God has created, God creates people male and female. And Genesis 2, that says marriage is a precious gift that God gives a man and a woman, and sexuality is a gift within that marriage for the purposes of bonding and procreation. Hey, many people struggle in the area of sexual things, but if you disagree with God's standard, then you need to repent because there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And yet we have a growing number of churches and leaders In fact, we have a growing number of people in the pews. In fact, they tell us, the latest research did, that over half of professing Christians say that premarital sex is okay and not a sin. Where'd they get that? They didn't get it in the book, did they? Because the Bible makes clear that God intended sex to be for bonding and procreation within the marriage covenant, every other expression of sin. So fornication before marriage is sin. Adultery in the context of marriage or after marriage is sin. Uh, Homosexuality is sin. Bestiality is sin. Any other expression is sin, but the one God said was okay. And if you don't agree with that, you need to repent because that's who Paul was talking about here. So in the last days, people reject the truth that's just as plain as it is in front of us in the Bible. Even professing Christians will reject that. They'll adopt the views of the world because they really love the world. They don't really love God. If they loved God, they would love his word. They would do what he say, or at least be committed to it and struggling with anything that's a sin against his revealed will in the word of God. Well, in chapter 3, verse 10, down to chapter 4, verse 5, Paul challenges all of us as Timothys to follow his example. Look at verse 10. He says, but you, Timothy, 
You have carefully followed what I was about. And then he lists nine things that were true of his life that Timothy had seen in him. And as he gives these things, it's a great encouragement. It's a great inspiration. It's a great challenge to us to also have these things be true of us. He says, we see in those verses that Paul's talk was what the Bible teaches. He said, Timothy, you followed my doctrine. You followed what I teach. I taught that all are sinners and all need Jesus, but thank God salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's a way to be saved. Jesus is his name. And Paul loved the gospel and the power of it to save sinners. And all the great things he taught about God, all the great things he taught, he says, Timothy, it's in the book, and I've given it to you there. I taught it. You also teach it. You followed my teaching. You teach the same things. But we see that Paul's walk was also consistent with what he taught. He said, Timothy, you haven't just followed my doctrine, what I taught, what came out of my mouth. You have followed my manner of life. You got to see that I was serious about sexual purity. You got to see that I was serious about applying business ethics from the word when I was a tent maker in the local marketplace. You got to see how I worked hard to have healthy relationships with others. Those relationships weren't always perfect. Sometimes I had to ask forgiveness like I've done with John Mark. But you've got to see how I've resolved conflict biblically. You've got to see this dynamic walk, this relationship with Christ, lived out in relationship with others. You saw me follow leadership when Barnabas was the team leader. You saw me be a good leader who cared for his team when I was a leader of the team. You've seen all those things. Timothy, you've seen the purpose that I had. Paul's purpose was to make much of Jesus. It showed in everything he did. He said, I want to know Christ He said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He wanted to know Christ and to make him known. His desire was that people that didn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. His desire was that people that were young in the faith would grow in their faith, that those that were growing would discover their gifts and use them. He poured himself out for others because Christ had poured into him. It was a focused, purpose-driven life. Paul's faith was that God would do what he said he would do. He said, Timothy, you've seen my faith. I really believe God, Timothy. You've seen me go into a place that didn't have any Christians and just say, hey, God promised the word wouldn't return void. And I shared. Sometimes they beat me up. I got up. I taught again. And many people mocked me. Many people persecuted me. But you saw that some believed and some followed. And a new church was born where there hadn't been a church. You've seen God do it by faith time and time again. And so, Timothy, have that faith in God that he can do whatever needs to be done. And where he guides, he provides. Paul says, you've seen how long-suffering I was, how patient I was in the midst of my physical weaknesses. All the way back as a young man, Paul had prayed and said, God, take this thorn in the flesh away. Was it bad eyesight? Was it something else? We don't know. But we know that God answered that prayer request, no. And for the rest of his life, so for the majority of Paul's life, he had a thorn in the flesh to deal with. And some of you do also. But God had said he didn't heal him, but he gave him a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. And Paul said, okay, I'll suffer long with that. I'll be patient, even though this is part of my story now, and I wish it wasn't. And some of you have something as part of your story you wish you wasn't, but it's an opportunity for you to display long-sufferingness, patientness. And Paul was patient as baby Christians grew. He was patient with those that were hostile to the gospel. He knew non-Christians act like non-Christians because they're non-Christians. And so he kept sharing, knowing that in a moment God could do what he could not convince someone of, his long-sufferingness. And then we see, I love that he puts in there, his love. (laughs) I love that he put in love. Paul said to Timothy, you've known about my love, my love for God, my love for people. He loved people as he had been loved by Jesus. 
He wanted them to experience the same uh, God that he had, and he fought for that in the churches he was leading. He fought for there to be no distinction between Jew and Gentile, but if they're both Christians, to worship freely and interactively with each other. He loved the prisoner and he loved the prison keeper. He loved the men, he loved the women, the boys, the girls. He loved the rich, he loved the poor. He loved, like hardly anyone has ever loved, his fellow Jews, his Gentiles. He wanted people to know Christ. He loved his single friends. He loved married couples like Priscilla and Aquila. He loved families. And then we see that he told Timothy, follow my perseverance, the persecutions, the afflictions. And he persevered through all those things. Folks, Paul got knocked down many times, but by faith he got back up again. And you're going to experience things in life that are going to knock you down. If you haven't yet, you'll get plenty of them to come in the future. Moses was right 3,500 years ago when he says there's labor and there's sorrow. Hey, there's joy in the journey. There's some wonderful moments as a person and as a believer. But the best is yet to come. Paul got knocked down and he said, this is part of it. Jesus told me so. He told me that in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so he got back up by faith. He did what God asked him to do. And he just kept coming. Your story is not the times you've been knocked down. Your story is defined by whether by faith you got back up again, right? Paul describes himself like a fighter. Fighters get knocked, hit some, don't they? But when the bell sounded, Paul came back out for the next round. Even after times he didn't feel like doing that. We looked at some of those, didn't we? Times he was depressed, discouraged, felt like giving up in despair, and he was encouraged by a brother in Christ or God directly from heaven through a vision or through something in the word. He just kept doing that. Timothy, you're going to get knocked down, but get back up. Refuse to be bitter. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Finish well. And Paul modeled all of that. My goodness, look at chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Timothy, you need to know the evil men, the imposters, are going to grow worse and worse. They're going to deceive. They're going to be deceived. And then he goes into, but you've learned a different way, Timothy. From childhood, you've learned what's in the scriptures. You know that what's in there can save a person. You know that what's in there can grow a person. Timothy, you know the scriptures, they are profitable for doctrine. Timothy, that's what you should believe. The things you should believe about every area of life that's important are in the scriptures. Timothy, the scriptures are profitable for reproof. That's what you should not believe. We all need to ask the same questions Timothy was urged to ask. Does this square with something I should believe from the scriptures? And if it's outside that circle, outside that box of scriptural truth, we go, no, no, that's not going to be what I build my life on. And for almost anything, you can read that or with your brothers and sisters in Christ, figure it out. And the Holy Spirit inside and the body of Christ around you together, you can figure out where error is clear error and you're supposed to believe in Jesus and in the life he calls you to. And he goes from belief things to behavior things. He says, the scriptures are profitable to Timothy for correction. That's how you should not behave. All the things you're not supposed to do and that God can't bless are clearly called sin in the scripture. And so he puts that in. But Timothy, scriptures are also profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's how you should behave. So you can be equipped for everything God calls you to do. It's all there in the word. It's all there in the fellowship community that goes by the word, the Bible community that is a church. Timothy, talk the talk and walk the walk like I did. As you share with others, some are going to lash out at you. Some are going to make you discouraged in being faithful and sharing. You're going to wonder if anybody's listening. But Timothy, remember my life. Some always responded 
Many times it was not the majority. Most of the time it was not the majority of the hearers, but there was always another Timothy out there. And so like I told you, Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of others, commit them to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. And Timothy took the baton from Paul. He shared it on to the next generation. It got shared to the next generation, the next generation. It's our day to take it. It's our day to pass it on. This is for us. So beautiful, so powerful. And that leads us to the home stretch here, looking at the fact that Paul finished well and would be rewarded, and so can we. Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 4, turn there, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, Timothy, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, when I think of the drink offering, I'm mindful that it wasn't a standalone offering in the Scriptures. It was given along with the burnt offering. And they'd put a little, they'd do the burnt offering of the sacrifice, and then they'd put some grain around it, and they'd pour wine on top of that. And um, they wanted it to be a sweet aroma to the Lord, very symbolic of the acceptance of the sacrifice, how God was pleased to take the sin, put it on the sacrifice, and then the person be able to walk forward in forgiveness. One of the great ways God was taking care of his people in the Old Testament, the time before Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Well, as Paul was looking around from the maritime prison there, maybe looking up, I think they, it was down below, and just like a dungeon kind of thing, that final prison that he was in, he knew he was going to go, and possibly he knew it would be by beheading that he would die. And he kind of calls in hospice on himself. He said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm the burnt offering this time. There's no other burnt offering. I'm the one that's going to die for the faith. And yet when I think about my blood being poured out, when I think about Christ's blood being poured out for me, I think about how my life is kind of for God like a drink offering. When we think of a container with some fluid in it like this, we think about the facts that it starts full, but it's going to go down until there's nothing left. And Paul says, our lives are like that. We talked about the days, right? So as a young man, hostile to the faith, Jesus had saved Paul, and he got excited and baptized, and then he began to grow, and a quarter of his life was over, maybe a third of his life was over. He had those early days of serving Christ, of pouring himself out in serving in a local church context, and then he was asked by Barnabas to join him and serve at a little wider context, and then he was able to become a team leader who worked with others, and before he knew it, three quarters of his life was poured out. He wrote the letters to encourage those he couldn't personally be with, the churches, the individuals. He went through at least five years of trials and imprisonments, and now a couple more in the passage we're looking at today, probably a total of seven to ten years of time in prison as he was trying to pave the way so that Christianity would be accepted enough in the Roman Empire that not as many people would have to suffer the way that he had suffered. And he spent that final days, Acts 21 to 28 and then beyond into the passage where, and he finally came to the point where there he is and he's looking back and he's saying, Timothy... I fought the good fight. I always answered the bell for the next round. Timothy, I ran the race. I think about Hebrews 12. He's talking like that. He's saying, hey, I'm about to cross the finish line. I'm going to join that great cloud of witnesses in the, in the sky in heaven. I'm going to join that great cloud of witnesses who turn around and say, you can do it too, Timothy. You can finish as well. You can come on. And he's viewing that entire life as being poured out, and he's realizing he's down to the final Drips coming out. He'd poured himself out. Christ had poured himself out for him and all of us so that we could go to heaven. 
And Paul had lived a life that had been poured out for others. And everybody in here is going to pour out the substance of who you are to something. We talk about the Proverbs 31 woman that says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. That's so wonderful. A woman that pours herself out to make a difference. But do you know there's also a Proverbs 31 man? Before you get to verse 11 that talks about the woman, there's a man. And the mother says to this godly young man, she says, don't give your strength, your vigor. Don't pour your strength out for that which messes people up. Don't make your identity about wine or women. Instead, serve the Lord, look out, have a purpose in life to look out for those that are overlooked and vulnerable. That's what I want for my son, the Proverbs 31 man that marries the Proverbs 31 woman, or they're both single and serve Jesus, and God uses them poured out because they've been poured out for. A life poured out, and Timothy is being told by Paul, my departure's at hand, but I poured it all out there, and Timothy, I'm challenging you to pour it all out there for others also. And then it gets even better. Look at verse 8. Finally, after I'm completely poured out, when that moment of death comes, when the final drip is there in our lives, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. When they would run a race, they'd cross the finish line. If they'd won the race, they'd go up to the Bema seat there. And it it says judges, but it's more like the judges in a race here. For Christians, it's not punitive judgment like the great white throne judgment. That's like when the police arrest you, you got to stand before the judge at the court. But for the Christians, the judgment he's referring to here is when one by one believers come up and they themselves get an incorruptible crown based on what they've done for Jesus. Hey, God is so good. Jesus himself is a wonderful reward, just knowing him, just being with him forever. But the way he's orchestrated things, he says, everything you do for Jesus matters and one day will be rewarded. And just as I have finished the race, I poured myself out, one day will come the time where Jesus will say, well, done thou good and faithful servant and I'm rewarding you for when you planted that church in Ephesus, when you advocated for Philemon, all the different things. And each one of us is storing up treasure in heaven like that too that can be rewarded by him one day or we're not. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, if anyone's work which he has built on it, his faith in Christ endures, he will receive a reward. But he also talks about those who will be saved because of what Jesus did for them, his righteousness counting for them, but there'll be no practical righteousness they did that he can reward them on in that day. John says, don't lose your reward. And so Paul pictures a person coming to the end of the life and finishing strong, finishing being completely poured out in faithfulness to the Lord. And that's my challenge to everyone here today. Here's how Fox's book of Martyr describes Paul's martyrdom. It says, at first, Nero was blamed for setting fire to Rome, so to direct his blame away from himself, he blamed the Christians. As a result, a fierce persecution broke out against them. During it, Paul was arrested and put back in prison. While in prison the second time, he probably wrote his second letter to Timothy. It was his last. Not long after, he was judged guilty of crimes against the emperor and condemned to death. He was taken to the execution block and beheaded. It was AD 66, just four years before Jerusalem fell. And a pagan world looks on and says, they try to rewrite the ending for us Christians. A pagan world looks on and says, Nero took Paul's life. Don't you believe it? Paul poured out his life 
in service to the God who had poured out himself for Paul on the cross. You're not a victim, you're an overcomer. And by God's grace, he'll write the last story for you. The last part of the story for you. Life's like a book. There's some chapters in the past we're not too proud of. But by God's grace, every book turns into a good book if it's got a good ending, right? Jesus is writing your good ending if you fight the good fight. If you finish the race loving him like you did at the start. That love his appearing thing is kind of a double meaning. Paul had loved Jesus ever since that first appearing on the Damascus Road in Syria. But he also knew one day he was going to see Christ face to face. And you will too. And that is worth all of our faith efforts to build on our faith by doing that which he can reward. It is worth answering the bell, fighting the good fight. It is worth finishing the race even though you've hit the wall and want to give up like others around you are. It is worth looking at the things he's called you to do and checking them off one by one as by faith you do those things just like the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, by faith so-and-so did, by faith you do now and you're pouring your life out. And when your departure is at hand, nobody will have taken your life. It will be poured out for the Lord. That's what Timothy was called to and what Timothy did and what saints have done for 2,000 years. Unfortunately, there's verse 9, verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world instead. Paul was departing for heaven. Demas departed for Thessalonica to love the world. Bow your heads, please. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.